Lord, that's so important, Lord, that we take time to just stop from the busyness of the day and running to and fro, Lord, to just sit at your feet and be still before you. That we might hear that still, small voice respond in obedience to the moving of your Spirit upon our lives. Father, we pray as we go to your word right now that you would be our teacher. Father, we don't want to hear the words of men or the opinions of men. They're meaningless. Father, it's the word of God that transforms lives. So may it be your word that is proclaimed with boldness, Lord, in the power of your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Great to have you here. Turn to 1 Samuel 25. We'll pick up where we left off last week. Before we do, I want to say just a couple things. One, uh, we put a second offer on a building just today. Be praying about that. Um, Not only do we need to get approval from the owner, but then we'd have to go through the city, and it's currently not zoned for a church because pretty much nothing in Santa Cruz is. So uh, we're going to see what God does. Amen? Sometimes you you got to step into the river before it parts, and so that's where we are right now. So be praying about that. Secondly, let me encourage you. If you are on the fence about going to Bible college, let me encourage you to do that. Um, It's interesting that the first Monday night is the opening of Monday night football. So we'll find out who's really saved, right? No, you know what's interesting? Funny story. Years ago, when I really felt like the Lord just grabbed a hold of my heart, I started going to this thing called cross-training on Sunday afternoons, when I know for the first time I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and God just grabbed a hold of my heart that He had something for me in life. Uh, right after that, Bible college was starting. And so I enrolled in Bible college, and sure enough, the first mon- the, they, they moved it from Thursday night to Monday night, and the first class was the opening night of Monday night football. And I was in Southern California, and this is in the Joe Montana days. It was the Raiders and the Niners. And I was like, Lord, you are testing me. But you know what? I went to Bible college. I don't know who won the game, but I know the Word of God transformed my life. Amen? So just let, let me encourage you. Two of my favorite Bible teachers, Pastor Bill and my dad, you guys will absolutely be encouraged. So pray about doing that. Instead of sitting home and watching whatever, go spend some time with the Lord. Amen? That was really weak. Amen? Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, let's pick up where we left off last week. And just the title of the message last week, it's not going to be the title of the message this week, but I want us to bring you up to speed. And we're just going to look at the first part of this chapter in our way of review. Last week, we saw a fleshly response from a godly king. And we looked at the potential stumbling blocks that can provoke our flesh. Number one, we saw that Samuel was gone. The guy that he turned to for godly counsel, the the guy that had anointed him as king was now gone. And then we saw that there was a harsh guy that he, he ran into. So dealing with harsh and evil people, the man's name was Nabal. His name means fool. We're going to look a little more at Nabal tonight. Then we saw him being treated unfairly. These are all things that we can fall into. Just as David did, we can fall into too. He, was, he went out and his guys were faithful and they'd gone down and watched over his sheep. And instead of stealing them when they were no doubt hungry, hiding in caves, because at this point, David and these now 600 disgruntled men are on the run from King Saul. They're hiding in caves at night, and during the day there's hiding out. And what's happening is that no doubt they're hungry, and here are all these sheep, and instead of stealing them, they protect them. But when the harvest time came, they sent some guys down to say, hey, you know what, we've been watching over and caring for the sheep, making sure there was no harm come to them. We'd just like for you to, at the feast time, just give us a little food that we can eat. And Nabal treated them harshly. Instead, what he said to them was, who's David? Who are you? And no, I'm not going to give you anything. How about that? 
And so we saw David being treated unfairly. We saw him being disrespected and insulted. And then finally, in verses 12 and 13, we saw David didn't pray or seek godly counsel, but he responded in anger. Now what's amazing about this, if we look at it just for a moment, is this godly man who allowed the actions of this ungodly fool to provoke in him a very fleshly response. Now again, in all of us, we would say, well, yeah, we've all done that. So what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. David was a man after God's own heart. He was the anointed king of Israel. He was a man of great faith who saw things from a heavenly perspective. He's the guy that stood up and fought the giant when everybody else was afraid. And he was the mighty warrior who saved, slayed thousands of Philistines, who led Israel into battle, of whom women sang songs about. Saul has slayed his thousand and David his tens of thousands. Men had showed such great, he had showed such great patience with King Saul King Saul had thrown spears at him, and he hadn't thrown a spear back. He sought to kill David with the very army of soldiers he had once led into battle, and he was anointed to rule. David played worship before this very king who later sought his death. David stepped in for Saul and facing Goliath. He responded in faithful obedience to Saul's attempt to have him killed and even in his own home. And repeatedly Saul came after him, Saul came after him, Saul came after him, and David responded in faithful obedience to the Lord. He did not strike out, he did not strike back. And then lastly, we saw the greatest temptation of all, a few chapters back when Saul came into the cave, they're in there hiding, all the the disgruntled men were with him saying, this is a divine appointment, David, pull out your sword and lop his head off, because Saul, Saul was literally going to the bathroom. I can think of very few positions where you're more vulnerable. And he's standing, he's there, he's got nobody with him, and David could have killed him like that. David instead just cut the hem of his robe and then was grieved that he'd even touched the Lord's anointed. He then appeared before Saul, showed him the, the edge of the robe, and when he showed it to him, even Saul admitted, you know what, David, you really are the king. And when you become ruler, would you please, would you please not bring things down upon my family, but bless them. So here's David with King Saul trying to kill him. He's on the run for his life. And now one little Nabal, one little foolish guy, says something insulting. And David's response is, get your swords, guys. We're going to go down and smoke this guy. Now what in the world happened? You know what this shows every one of us in this room? That, there, that every one of us, if we are walking in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, but we can get out of the Spirit and into the flesh really quick. Amen? And that's exactly what happens with David. This guy's been so faithful, and all of a sudden, he snaps. The same thing can happen to every single one of us. Empowered by the Spirit, you can stand before God, endure great difficulty and persecution, and then on your drive home, a guy can cut you off and you blow a head gasket. You can be just on fire for God, passionate for Him, sharing your faith with great boldness, get in your car, a block later, get angry and blow a head Am I the only one that's ever done this? And again, it's that battle between the Spirit and the flesh. You know the sad part is? Most commonly, what we do is we take it home and take it out on our family. I'm amazed how many times you'll hear of stories of men who are on fire for God and then they go home and they're, they're just mean and angry with their own family. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to be those who walk in the Spirit, not just 
at the moment when we're sharing our faith, but every moment of the day. And you know, again, we, there's this, we need, my, my passion, my heart for us tonight is that we would learn from Abigail's example as she exhorts David, and that we would learn not to just walk in the Spirit for a moment, but Lord, help us to walk in the Spirit for a lifetime. Help us to walk in the Spirit all the time. The Bible tells us that with temptation, He makes the way of escape. And again, there's that temptation. It's so easy for us to get in the flesh, to come home and lose. Again, guy backs his car into you and you go, oh, no problem, bro, it's all right. Accidents happen. And you, you know, this is an opportunity to share Jesus. Here's a divine appointment. You share Jesus with him. You love all over him. And you get home and your wife burnt the garlic toast and you scream at her. It's just amazing. This is the battle we deal with every day. Amen? It's the battle between walking in the flesh and walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And praise God for the word of God that it does not hide the frailties of its heroes. Because we've been watching David, and David for the most part, outside of what he did with the priests when he lied to them, has been doing right on. And now we see David stumbling. But what I love about this is that in the midst of this, between Nabal, as we're going to talk about, Nabal, the foolish drunkard, and David, the mighty warrior, the man of God, a man after God's own heart, who are in battle against each other, in comes sweet Abigail. And Abigail, the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And Abigail is going to come in between. Now, if you saw these two people going at each other, I'm thinking run away, right? You know, the, the mighty warrior, the guy who slayed Goliath, right? He's on this side. And on this side is the guy you know all too well because you're married to him. And he is indeed a Nabal. And you might even think, you know, David, you're doing me a favor. Kill him quickly. You know what I mean? But instead, we see Abigail, and I pray that we would learn some things from Abigail's nature and her heart, that we would bring them into the church. So the title of tonight's message, Bringing Spiritual Perspective to a Fleshly Situation. Bringing a Spiritual Perspective to a Fleshly Situation. There are several points up there, lessons we can learn from Abigail's example. Number one, be willing to listen. Before we're going to be able to have an impact on people that are caught up in the flesh, we must be willing to listen. But not only must we be willing to listen, we must be willing to take action. Prepare to take action. When we hear from the Lord, we need to step out in faith. This is a long point. I hope you grasp it. I'm glad it's written down. Number three, know that those who are in the flesh will often be determined and feel justified in their behavior. You'll approach someone in the, in, their, in the flesh and they'll be determined that this is what they're supposed to do and they'll feel justified that it's okay to walk in the flesh. Be ready for that as you try to bring a spiritual perspective to a fleshly situation. Number four, approach the situation with the spirit of love and kindness and humility. One of the things that we need to be careful about when we we'll see someone walking in the flesh is that we don't get in the flesh trying to minister to them. Amen? Sometimes you just want to... just. Dude, are you out of your mind? You know, just go off on the guy. And the Lord wants us to do it. Sometimes we need to be direct, but do it in love. Number five, remind them of God's calling upon their lives. Number six, trust that the Lord will be with you as you intercede on his behalf. Number seven, leave righteous judgment and vengeance in God's hands. And then lastly, when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. So let's begin in verse 14 where we left off, bringing spiritual perspective to a fleshly situation. Lessons we can learn from Abigail's example. Number one, be willing 
to listen. Now look what it says in verse 14. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife. Now Abigail, as I said last week, in case you weren't here, her name means insight or the joy of her father. Nabal's name means fool. And you know what? Both of them really do live up to their names. Because she is a woman of great insight, as we're going to see tonight. And she also is a woman who no doubt would have been a great joy to her father. And Nabal is indeed a fool. Now I said this last week. How did a godly woman end up with a fool for a husband? How did this happen? Well, in those days they had arranged marriage. And as we saw last week, Nabal had a lot of money. And I'll tell you what, parents, we don't want, I don't want a rich man. I want a godly man for my daughter. How about you? You know what? The greatest riches in the world are the riches that will outlast this life. And I praise God that my daughter just married a very godly man two weeks ago. So today, you know, we see the same thing happen, that this was an arranged marriage, but it happens today when we are moved by the flesh instead of waiting patiently and being led by the Holy Spirit. Too often, we oh, i got to get married right away, i got to get, right? And we get this thing, and we're impatient. Instead of waiting upon the Lord. Guys, there's a lot worse things than being single. Amen? Some are called to be single. Paul said, it'd be better if you were as I am, speaking of being single. But I'll tell you what's a lot worse than being single. Being married to somebody that is not God's choice for you. Amen? So don't do it. Wait upon the Lord. Trust in Him. Then it says, one of the young men. Now these are Nabal's servants. One who watched over the sheep. And look what it says. She to- he told Abigail, Nabal's wife. Now I want to point something out to you. The fact that the servant approaches Abigail says a lot already about her character. Why? She is the wife of the very wealthy master. Now the wife of the very wealthy master, as we know last week, it said she was beautiful in appearance. And those, the word there in Hebrew was only used three times in the entire Old Testament of three women. And it was Esther, Rachel, and Abigail. Which means she was a hottie, okay? I'm a youth pastor at heart, what can I tell you? So she was beautiful and she was wealthy, and she was the master's wife, you know, she could have been very stuck up, right? She could have walked around with her nose down at everybody. You know, I'm the master's wife, and everybody knows I'm pretty, and you're not, and I've got money, and you don't, and I'm in charge, and you're not. You know, and you know what? Do we know people like that or what? And this could have very easily been Abigail, but I tell you what, a lot is told to me, I learned about her character right off the bat, that when the servant has something urgent to say, and he needs somebody who he believes will take action, he runs to Abigail. That tells me, one, that she's approachable. Lord, help us to be approachable, amen? Help us to be those that people would feel comfortable coming up and talking to us about our faith. Number two, she was a woman of, under, of wisdom and understanding. She would no doubt know what to do with the information. And these truly are marks of the humility of this woman, Abigail. And again, she could have been so filled with herself. Instead, she was humble, she was kind, she was approachable, even as she had a fool for a husband. Now, and then it says, look, David, this is the Young man speaking to Abigail. Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. 
The word reviled there, some of your translations, if you have like a modern translation, would even say he railed on them. He spoke to them with, with contempt and abusive language. He disrespected them. Basically what he said, who, David's men come and said, you know, we had ministered to your guys. We watched over them out there. We made sure nobody took any of your sheep and we cared for them day and night. And, you know, now you're having your big feast. We would just love it if whatever you feel comfortable with, put it in your hand and bring it to us so that we might have some food to eat. Something they had earned, something they deserved. And instead the response was, who is David? Basically, who does David think he is? Who is David? Now, how could anybody say that? David was the one who slayed Goliath. David was the mighty champion. Everybody knew who he was. But you know what? He also referred to him as a runaway servant. Go back and you'll see it back there in verse 10. So as approachable as Abigail was, her husband was harsh, evil, and unapproachable. And so standing by was one of the young men hearing this conversation and he hears Nabal be a Nabal and turn around and just blast this young man and send him back empty-handed to David. And this young man has an idea what that's going to result in. And it concerns him. So he goes to Abigail and says, uh, Nabal's being Nabal again. Um, they came, they just asked for what they, and you know what, he reviled them. He, you know what, he, he railed on them. He was abusive to them. And he comes to Abigail, why? Because he knows that Nabal would not listen. Abigail was approachable, she was wise, and she heard him out. And here's what he said. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. There were a wall to us both night and day, all the time we were with them keeping the sheep. He makes it very clear that David's men had performed a valuable service, though no doubt hungry, again, didn't attack the sheep, didn't take anything that wasn't theirs. On the contrary, they had been a wall night and day, and they deserved compensation. And they only asked for what they had earned. And Nabal had railed on them, insulted them, and sent them away empty-handed. This is the story being related to Abigail. So Abigail listens. Again, if she was arrogant, if she was stuck up, she had an attitude, she could have just said, who are you trying, who do you think you're talking to? Don't you know that I'm the master's wife? Don't you know that you work for me? You, you know, you're to be seen and not heard. Get back out there with your sheep. And certainly we've met people like, that's not Abigail. We see in Abigail some godly attributes. And then it says, Now therefore, verse 17, Know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all his household. Knowing that Nabal's actions and their association with him would result in their harm, potentially even their death. Who do they run to? Not the captain of the arms, not, certainly not Nabal, not the chief guy. Who do they run to? They run to Abigail. And again, I love that picture and that heart. They knew something had to be done. They knew they were in severe trouble if it wasn't done. And of all people, they knew wise and humble Abigail would do something. Let me ask you a question. Is your character as such that when others are desperate, they turn to you for help? You know, Lord, help us to have that kind of character. Amen? Where you work, do people know you're a Christian at work? And does the fact that people know you're a Christian at work bring glory to his name or harm to it? Amen? 
You know, do God a favor. If you're going to live like the devil, don't tell people you're a Christian. Amen? You know, if we're going to tell people we're Christians, let's live like it. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but it does mean when we blow it, we come with a confessing and a broken heart to get things right. Amen? And so we should live lives in such a way that even some of the very people that would mock us would then come to us later in the midst of difficulty and say, you know what, I need prayer. I have no idea who to ask. I know you pray. Could you pray for me? They're only going to know that if we live for the Lord. Abigail was somebody who everyone had watched her character, and they knew if we need to go to somebody who's wise, who's humble, who will know what to do in a time of difficulty, let's go to Abigail. Speaks a great deal about her character. Again, they didn't turn to Nabal. Now, why didn't they turn to Nabal? Look at the rest of the verse. For he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. He's a fool and a scoundrel. Now, these are not my opinions. This is what the Bible says. He's a scoundrel. What does that mean? You know what? Interpretation of that is son of Belial. He is a son of destruction, a son of evil, a son of wickedness. So what do we know about this guy so far? We know that he's a fool, that he's the son of destruction, son of evil, son of wickedness. He's quick to rage and anger, and he's impossible to speak to. How'd you like to be married to that guy? And Abigail's married to him. Now, Abigail's married to him. She could be very bitter. Amen? And what is that about? Thanks, Dad, arranging that marriage. I really appreciate it, right? I thought it was a joy of my father. Why'd you give me Nabal, right? But instead, what does she do? We see that in the midst of an ungodly, out-of-control, disaster of a husband, she's still a faithful, godly woman. May that be an exhortation to many of you. Maybe your husband's not saved. You keep praying for him. You keep being a Christ-like example to him. You may be the only Jesus he ever sees. You live so sold out for God, he's going to want to know what in the world. Who is this God you serve? i got to know him because I've never met anybody with the character that you have. If you're married to a Nabal, be an Abigail. Amen? And the same is true for the guys. You could be married to a Nabalina, I guess. I don't know. So bringing spiritual perspective to a fleshly situation, number one, be willing to listen. A listening ear is an important thing. Number two, be prepared to take action. You can listen all day and do nothing. That's what most psychologists do, by the way. If you're a psychologist and you're here tonight, I love you and the Lord loves you and God bless you and forgive me, okay? Oh, tell me more about that. Okay, really, great, well, great. Or you watch one of these shows on TV, right, for an hour, Oprah or Dr. Phil. They sit and talk about problems for an hour and everybody goes home. With no solutions, amen? People are like, man, my life's a disaster. My family's falling apart. I'm strung out. I don't know what to do. Well, you know, we'll set you up with 5,000 counseling sessions. You know what? I just, you want to yell TV, Jesus, amen? I got the answer for you, and it's not more counseling sessions. It's not, you know, discovering your inner child. It's not, it's Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen from the dead. But you know what? We need to not just listen to the person's problem. We need to be willing to take some action. Amen? That's Abigail's heart. Now watch how Abigail responds. And Abigail made haste. So Abigail, here's the problem, and she's willing not to just listen, but based on her wisdom, take action. She knew time was of the essence and something had to be done quickly. So what does she do? She made haste and she took 200 loaves of bread and two skins of wine and five sheep already dressed and five seeds of 
roasted grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys. David had politely asked just for some food in payment for the work he had done. The result had been he had been mocked, he had been insulted, and he had been turned down by Nabal. This godly woman, hearing the situation, would try to undo what her foolish husband had done and what she feared would be great consequences coming on her family. So what does she do? She prepared over and above what David had asked for. This is no doubt far more than David had expected. So she didn't just bring what David expected. She said, you know what? These guys serve faithfully. We're going to reward them faithfully. And she says, I'm going to give them over and above what they asked for. So immediately she sees the situation using godly wisdom. She finds a, an answer. And then it says in verse 19, And she said to her servants, Go on before me. See that I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. Now go on before me. Abigail sent the servants with the food before her, and she followed behind. She wanted to prepare David to hopefully be patient to listen to what she would say. They often did this in ancient times. They would send the gifts in waves, right? The person would be at the back, and the gifts would be in the front, and they would, you know, they would, they would send them in waves so that maybe they'd soften up the heart of the person. So by the time they got there, right? You know, Jacob and Esau, remember that story? He's coming back to his brother, and he's sending gifts in waves, man, right? He's got four waves of stuff coming before he gets to his brother. Thinking, man, let's soften him up, right? And so this is kind of what's happening here. She's sending out in front of her. She's coming behind them. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. Now, some people have said this is rebellion for her not telling her husband. I think this was wisdom. (laughs) Nabal. Now, let me make this clear. The Bible says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, we are to submit. God's got an order in the house. God's called a man to be a spiritual leader. God's called the wife to submit to her husband. God's called the children to submit to the, to the mom and the dad. And you know what? Dad, you're to submit to the Lord. And if you're submitted to the Lord, it's real easy for your wife to submit to you. Amen? If you're a man who's seeking after God and praying and seeking his face and walking with the Lord, it's real easy for your wife to submit to you. But let me say this. That doesn't mean, wives, you only submit to your husband as he submits to the Lord because that's not submission. Submission isn't just doing what's always easy. Amen? That's just doing what you want. He happens to be going in the same direction. But God has called us to... Now, when is that... When is there a caveat to that? When your husband starts wanting you to do something that is in direct contradiction to the Word of God. Your husband comes home and wants your four boys to go out in the backyard and smoke pot with him. I'm thinking intervening is a good thing. Amen? I'm thinking there's a time when you submit, but there's a time when you go, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Boys get in the car, taking the jack in the box. You're not going to be around your dad right now. And again, if he starts to get mad at you, just call the office. We'll send some big pastors over there to handle him or something. <laughs> but here's the point. There, we are called. This shit is an exception to the rule. God's calling you to submit. God's calling you to submit unless there's something way outside of the will of God. that is, He wants you to act contrary to the word of God and just it's outlandish. Then there's a time for you to stop and say, no. I'm going to honor the Lord. But that should be the exception and not the rule. God's heart is that you be submitted to your husband. I think that there's every reason in the world for her to say, oh, I don't think so. If I went and told my husband, all he would do is keep me from going to David, and we'd be dead for sure. 
And she feels like he's lost his mind. So she does this, and some people struggle with it. I don't necessarily. I think she did the right thing. Verse 20. So it was as she rode on her donkey that she went down under cover of the hill, and there was David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. I want you to notice that she sent the food, and she didn't send it out only with the servants. She went with it. Again, a sign of humility, a sign of a heart of a woman who is not just someone who tells others what to do, but is being faithful. And the fact that she's riding on a donkey, again, speaks of humility. Donkey is an animal of peace, as we know in Scripture. Our Lord rode in on, on Palm Sunday on the back of a colt of a donkey, and so does she here. So bringing a spiritual perspective to a fleshly situation, number one, be willing to listen, and number two, be prepared to take action. She's done both of those things, hasn't she? She's heard it. She's used wisdom. She's responded in a way to minister to David in the right way, doing what is right in the eyes of God, and at the same time to protect her family. This is indeed a godly woman. Number three, know that those who are in the flesh will often be determined and feel justified in their behavior. Look at verse 21. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing has missed of all that belongs to him. And he has repaid me evil for good. You can see that David's sense of hurt is justified. He'd been wrong by, had he been wrong by Nabal, what's the answer? Yes, he had. Nabal is entirely wrong. David's entirely right. And while his feelings may have been justified, what would David do with those feelings? Then he says, and he has repaid me evil for good. This is an accurate statement. A truth, again, we all have no doubt experienced. You've been wronged. You've been wronged. What do you do when you've been wronged? You've been treated unfairly. Guys, it's not how you've been treated. It's how you respond to how you've been treated. And so we see here that David has a choice. Verse 22. May God do so, and more also to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all those who belong to him by morning light. Now you know why the servant is nervous. He says, oh dude, that was King David. King David slaughtered the Philistines. King David fought 11 foot 750 Goliath and took him down with a rock. Dude, that was the wrong guy to get mad at us. And if he comes after you, he might kill everybody who knows you, and I happen to know you, and I don't like that. So he runs to Abigail. Abigail, help, because Nabal's got us in a mess. And sure enough, here's David, determined in his mind that he's been wrong. He's justified to go out and seek vengeance. The Bible says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Amen? And you know what? Aren't there times we felt totally justified to lash out? David's intentions are clear. Kill Nabal and all the males in his household. And again, while the expected response, Nabal's servant thought this was going to be the response, didn't he? Uh, He warned Abigail it was coming. David no doubt felt justified. Nabal hadn't given him what was rightfully his. But guys, while expected, even justified, God's calling upon David's life and upon my life and upon your life is to go further than what the world might expect. Amen? Amen? The expected response was, he's going to come in here and kill everybody. The expected response, when somebody screams and yells at you and is flashing signs at you on the freeway, is for you to respond in kind. But the Word of God tells us as Christians, we should live differently than the way the world expects us to live. Amen? 
When we're mistreated at work, our boss expects us, the co-workers expect us. When things are happening that are unfair, there's an expected response that comes from those who are walking in the flesh, but as Christians, we are to respond different. David is responding according to the flesh. David, who showed patience with Saul, has none left. All right, King Saul, I've put up with enough. I'm not putting up from it from Nabal. I'm just not doing it. I did nothing but help this guy. You know what? I'm going to go down there, and we're going to gut that guy. I mean, literally, get your swords out. I mean, and when David gets his sword out, he's pretty proficient. You remember when, when Saul wanted him, you know, said he'd give him his daughter, and then he reneged on the deal. Remember, he said, anybody who kills Goliath gets my daughter. Then he said, well, you can have my daughter, but you've got to go down and bring me 100 foreskins of the Philistines. Uh, I'm thinking there's other things I'd rather do. I'm glad the Bible's not illustrated in that chapter. You know what I mean? So he goes down there, and he brings back 200. David, this guy not messing around. Philistines, giants and all. He goes down and brings back 200. And now, Nabal, what have you done? Look at the mess you've got us in. And now David is responding in that same heart, that heart of vengeance and anger. Again, something we had not seen from him was Saul. God has called him to do more than what the world expects. Guys, the world is not the standard. It's not how much better you do than the world does. The world is not the standard. Our Savior is the standard. The Word of God is the standard. Well, everybody else will respond that way. You're not everybody else. You're a child of the King. You're a new creation in Christ. You're filled with the Spirit of the living God. You know what? We, we're, not, we're, we're alive. They're spiritually dead. We should live different than a dead person. Amen? I would hope if we took you down to the morgue, you'd be a little different than the cadavers down there, amen? And the same is true. It should be that drastic in the way that we live compared to the way the world lives. And sadly, David's kind of acting like a dead guy right here. He's acting like the world. He's lashing out. There's a reminder of us that we need to constantly be on guard because the Bible says, take heed lest ye fall, amen? We too can fall into the same trap. We can get in our flesh just that quick. So bring spiritual perspective to a fleshly situation. Number one, be willing to listen. Number two, be prepared to take action. Number three, while in the flesh, it may be determined and feel justified in their behavior. Again, that's what the world expects, but God wants us to go beyond what the world expects. Number four, approach the situation with a spirit of love, kindness, and humility. Verse 23. Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from her donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. Is that how Nabal responded to David? Is that a little different? What a contrast between Nabal, who pridefully treated David like a rebellious servant, and Abigail, who humbly approached him as the anointed king. You know, what a picture here of how people respond to our Savior. Some come to our Savior, the son of David, and some look at him and mock his name, and who's Jesus? And they curse his name, and they mock his name, and they want nothing to do with him, and they elevate themselves above the Lord. And then there are those who approach our Savior the way that Abigail did. They fall on their face before him. Guys, there's only one way to get to heaven, and Jesus is the only way. And we need to come to him broken and humble. What a contrast. Look at the contrast in the next few verses. And then it says in verse 24, So she fell at his feet 
and said, O me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. She calls him my Lord. The word there is Adonai, which means master. She calls him master. She's not calling him God. She doesn't call him Jehovah. She calls him master. So she's humbling herself. She calls him master. What did Nabal say? Who's David? She calls him, oh my Lord, oh my master. And Nabal says, who's David? Then she says, on me let this iniquity be. She takes the blame for Nabal's mistreatment of his messengers upon herself. Where Nabal would not even do what he was supposed to do, she does something that was not her fault. She takes the blame for it. What a picture of our Savior. She takes the blame that she does not deserve on behalf of one who fully deserves it. Then she says, please let your maidservant speak. Abigail seeks permission to speak to David, and Nabal disregarded David's words. David's words were brought. He didn't want to hear it. Nabal come, or, uh, Abigail comes humbly and asks permission to simply speak to David. What a contrast between these two people. Then it says in verse 25, Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. Now Abigail intercedes on behalf of her husband, not by defending his actions, but by confessing the truth about his character. Now again, a lot of people would say she threw her husband under the bus. Right? She spoke bad of her husband, right? She, she should have went in there and talked about how wonderful her husband was. Well, the Bible says, thou shalt not lie. But no, seriously, the point here is, and some would say that she shouldn't have, but I think what she's really doing is defending her husband by being truthful about his character, by saying, you know what? My husband, he meant you no harm. He's just a foolish man. He's just a foolish man who doesn't get it. You know, later we're going to see he's a drunkard. He's foolish. And, you know, please cut him some slack. That's just the person that he is. I believe that's the, the heart with which she is speaking these words. And then she says, But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. She pleads her own ignorance, but was already taken blame for her husband's actions. So here's Abigail, concerned about the welfare of others. Nabal cares only about himself. What a, what a marriage. You got one person who is so other-centered, someone who, who's willing to take the blame when she didn't do it, somebody who's got character, somebody who's willing to listen, someone filled with wisdom and the foolish drunkard. And they're married to each other. But again, notice Abigail is still interceding on behalf of her husband. She's still one who's not you know, trying to get rid of him, but is trying to save him. And we see that heart and that character. Verse 26, now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. Now this time, she says, as the Lord lives. The word Lord there, if you have a good translation, should be all capitals, and that word is Jehovah. So she called him Lord, Master, Adonai, and she calls him Lord, Jehovah, 
as Jehovah lives, as your soul lives, since Jehovah has held you back. Abigail brings a spiritual perspective to a fleshly situation. She brings God into the equation. She takes him from a situation where he's filled with the flesh and she starts talking about the Lord. And she starts talking about how God is sovereign in his hand of grace. He has held you back. She's using wisdom and sharing with him what God has done. It says, from avenging yourself. Reminds David of God's role of the avenger. Again, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. She appeals to David's heart to do God's will. She is taking in a fleshly environment and bringing a godly perspective by simply starting to talk about the Lord to a man who loves God. So often we get whipped up because we stop thinking about God for the moment. And somebody simply comes in and brings us back to a spiritual perspective. What would the Lord want us to do here? Oh! Get you back, get your eyes back on Jesus, amen? Some people made fun of the WWJD bracelets. Oh, well, what would Jesus... You know what? I thought they were pretty cool, actually. I was a youth pastor. Our youth group kids used to wear them, and sometimes they'd say, they'd start to say something in school, and they'd look down and see that bracelet and go, oh. They remember the Lord's listening. Now, again, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We don't need a bracelet, but you know what? It's okay. We need reminders sometimes. Remember whose children we are. That we are child, children of the king. And then she says, let your enemies and those who seek you harm be as Nabal. She's saying, let any enemy of yours be as a fool. That's literally the translation. Let them be anybody who's foolish enough to come against you, David. Let them be as a fool. Now again, I believe her heart still here is to defend her husband. Don't, don't worry about my husband. He's not that big a deal. He's kind of a foolish guy. He, just let him go. He's just not, he didn't think straight. You know, he doesn't know God. Just, just let him go. David, you're the godly man. Guys, we shouldn't be surprised when the world acts like the world. Amen? But we should be surprised when people who know God act like the world. One time I'm walking through a crosswalk with another Christian buddy of mine when I was working in San Jose. We're walking through a crosswalk, coming back from lunch, and a guy goes through the crosswalk going 80 and misses us by a foot. And then he screeches his car and turns it sideways and starts making signs at us. And they weren't happy ones. And my buddy starts yelling at him, and, and I'm, like, I'm like, bro, just let it go. He's like, dude, that guy. I said, yeah, but he doesn't know God. And we shouldn't be surprised when someone acts like they don't know God that doesn't know God. Amen? Where the problem is when we start getting into that and mixing it up with them. Dogs bark because that's what dogs do. People who don't know God act like they don't know God. Amen? But as Christians, we ought to be different. And that's the whole point. David, he's just a fool. He's a foolish man. Let him go. Verse 27. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. Whose trespass? She says, please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, speaking of herself. She didn't do this. Nabal did. But I love this character. I love this heart that she has. I love the this act of love and kindness. Can't you just see love and kindness all over Abigail? She comes into this volatile situation and calms it down just with her character and her attitude and her heart. The Bible says that with a soft answer, we turn away wrath. Amen? Somebody's all fired up at you and you, hey, bro, man, I'm really sorry. God bless you. You know what? You're right. Please forgive me. Oh, all right. I mean, that happens. 
A soft answer turns away wrath. She comes in with that soft, gentle heart. Let me bring this present to you. He's just a foolish guy. Let him go. It's not that, you know, and she comes, will you please forgive your maidservant? What a humble and gentle spirit. You got to love this. And then she says, please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. She says, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. Abigail humbly reminds David of the Lord's promise for his life. Now this has got to be convicting. She shows up and says, oh, by the way, David, aren't you... She's going to say in a second, Are you, you're the next king, right? God's got his hand on you, right? God's going to make your house enduring forever. This guy not giving you a little food is really not the end of the world because God has promised to provide for you. Amen? So when you show up on a job and a guy shorts you and he mistreats you and you want to blow a head gasket and get even, remember that God has promised to provide for you. So it's not this man who provides, it's God who provides to so trust him. And say, Lord, it's okay, all right, you know what? I asked, it's okay, I'm going to leave it in your hands. If the Lord wants me to have it, the Lord will take care of me. Abigail, this woman of great faith, reminds David of God's promises. And you know what? She knew God's promises. That means she was a woman who spent time heeding the word of God, knowing what God said, hearing what was being taught, and she knew it and she was able to share it. Guys, we can't share the word if we don't know it. Amen? We can't share the promises of God if we don't know the promises of God. She says to him, you're God's man. Don't allow these circumstances to keep you from all God has for you. What great counsel, amen? David, you're God's man. God's got so much greater for you. He's just Nabal. Just let him go. Just forget about him. Here's the food, all of it you deserve. Here's double. And you know what? You're God's man, and God's going to do great things with you. Just let that guy go. It's not worth it. Let it go. Point number five, in bringing spiritual perspective to a fleshly situation, remind them of God's calling upon their lives. Look what it says there in verse 29. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. I really like this verse. What insightful and encouraging words from Abigail to the anointed king of Israel. She says, yet a man. Now, what man is she talking about? Saul. She says, yet a man has risen to pursue and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord. Bundle of the living is a, it's a custom where they would bundle their valuables together to keep them from injury. And she's saying, you are bundled with the Lord. God has his hand upon you. You are valuable to him. Saul's coming after you. You need not worry about it because God has his hand on you, David. Remember who's called you. Remember who's gifted you. Remember who has his hand upon you. Abigail, what a godly woman of wisdom. And she comes and encourages David in the midst of this trial. And then I love this. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as far as the pocket of a sling. Now, the word sling... In Hebrew, if you go back and look at David, picked up a rock and he slung it at Goliath. It's the same word. And he says, and this is not by chance. She says, no doubt, filled with the Holy Spirit, says to him, he's going to sling out your enemies. What a reminder, David, of the fight with Goliath. Amen. Reminding him of what he'd already been through. Remember how God was faithful there? He's still going to be faithful. 
Remember how he took the giant down with a rock and he used a little teenage guy like you? He's still going to use you. He took down your enemy then. He's going to take out your enemies now. Keep your eyes on him. Don't let these circumstances get your eyes off of God and render your ministry ineffective, David. And that's exactly what he would say to us when those temptations come to blow our testimony. What a reminder of God's faithfulness in the past and his promises in the future. Verse 30. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel. Now wait a minute. She says, has appointed you ruler over Israel. Abigail is a woman of faith. Amen? She doesn't say might, doesn't say will, says has. Because if God says it, it's already done. Amen? The Bible says we are seated with him in heavenly places. It doesn't say we will be seated with him. It says we are. Amen? So we're already, you know, citizens of heaven. Those are, it's a done deal in God's eyes. And that's what she's telling him. You're gonna, you are the ruler. God's promises are already done. David, don't let these circumstances distract you. God has such a high calling upon your life. Guys, we can allow three minutes of circumstances and a blown head gasket to ruin 10 years of testimony. You can be at work and just turn and lash out at somebody and blast them hard. And 10 years of you walking through the office and being a godly person can go like that. Now, if you've done that, use that as an opportunity to show what real repentance is and go repent in the right way. Amen? And God can use even that for his glory as well. And then she says that this will be no grief to you. David, don't let these actions done hastily in the flesh be something you regret for a lifetime you'll probably do testimonies tonight and people come up here and talk about things they've done that though god has forgiven them they will regret for a lifetime and often done in a moment of haste often done in one moment and you know what lord help us to walk in the fullness of the spirit so when those temptation comes we take the way of escape. She's bringing a spiritual perspective to fleshly circumstances. And then she says, at the end of that verse, says, The heart of my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause, or that my Lord has avenged himself. Don't, don't think back and realize that you've shed blood without a cause. When you're, when you're walking with God and when you're, you're sitting as the king on the throne, don't have to look back and regret what you've done. Don't allow to have to look back and realize you've avenged yourself when God would have done it for you. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. He says, you know what? When you become the king, don't forget about me. Well, we're going to see he doesn't forget about her. He says, don't forget, please, when you become king. Look, at she has so much faith. She is, is she just turned this thing on a dime or what? David was thinking, I'm going to go kill that guy. Who does he think he is? Get your swords. Let's go. All of a sudden, she's saying, you know, you're going to be the king. God's got his hand on you. He's going to do mighty things. You don't want to be grieved looking back at this. By the way, here's all you asked for in double. He's just a foolish guy. He's acting like his nature. You should act like yours. David, you're the king. God's got his hand on you. You don't want to be grieved about this. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. David, get your eyes off of him. Get your eyes up. Quit looking around. Start looking up. Changes our perspective on everything. So bringing spiritual perspective to a fleshly situation. Number six, trust that the Lord will be with you as you intercede on his behalf. Look at verse 32. Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. David 
rightly recognizes that Abigail was sent by God to stop him from a foolish act. You know, when we have the Holy Spirit in common, somebody comes up and shares something with you. You know, it's when, you know when it's the Lord, don't you? Someone says something, you go, oh, that's the Lord. You're right, that's the Lord. And you know what? Praise God that David was in that flesh for the moment. He was headed in the wrong direction. But when God sent a messenger to him to get his eyes back on God, he recognized and said, that's it. You're right. Praise God for sending you. Verse 33, and blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. David acknowledges the wisdom of her counsel. It's not the words of Abigail, but God is speaking through her to him. She is simply a tool in the hand of the master, just being obedient to the Lord, and God is using her in a mighty way. Verse 34, for indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light, no males would have been left to Nabal. David confesses that God's hand of protection was upon her. If she had not come, he would have killed Nabal and every male offspring. Abigail kept David from sin. Amen? Don't we need some godly friends like that? You know what? The enemy wants us to be isolated and by ourselves and have no fellowship. We can continue on in sin and there's nobody close to us who can stop us and go, Dude, you need to stop that. That's not godly behavior. Why are you going there? Do it in love, but have people... You know what? Pastor Chuck says you ought to have four or five friends who know you well enough to put you in jail. You know, people that know every aspect of your life, right? People that you're transparent with. Dude, I'm struggling with this. Can you pray for me? We need that. And you know what? Praise God. Abigail shows up and God is using her to speak to the next king of Israel. And she does it with humility, but also with boldness. While God forgives, guys, it's far better than sinning and far better than sinning and seeking forgiveness is not to sin at all. Amen? It's far better. It's far better just to not sin, to walk in obedience, to walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Your sin will be forgiven, but the consequences remain. Lord, help us not to sin. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. Verse 35. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. Look at this, Abigail. She listened, she took action. She spoke in a spirit of love and humility. She reminded David of God's calling upon his life. She trusted the Lord to be with her. What did God do? He protected her. David heard her words. He heeded her counsel and he respected her person. Why? Because she obeyed God. Abigail, faithful, Nabal, foolish. God glorified in her, and Nabal is about to lose his life. Look what it says. Bringing spiritual perspective to a fleshy situation. Number seven, leave righteous judgment and vengeance in God's hands. Look what happens. Verse 36. Now Abigail went to Nabal. She goes home. And there he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, and he was very drunk. Nabal's having a party, drinking himself under the table, not knowing that he's about to be killed. Or what, you know. David could have been on the way to kill him, and he's just, ah, right? He's acting like the king. Eat, drink, and be merry. Now, is that the world or what? The world is eating and drinking and being merry, not realizing that imminent judgment is about to come. It's coming. 
In the midst of that, we need some Abigails to come in and get people's eyes on, on the true and living God. To find where the real hope and the real answer is. It's not in spirits, it's in the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so we see this here. She comes back. He's just out of... Now, you know what's interesting to me? He's having a huge party. This foolish sinner, Nabal. But what's interesting is, if all he, all he had to do to avoid being killed by David was invite him to the party. Right? If he said to David, you're right, you help me. Bring all your guys down here and enjoy a huge feast with us. Guys, the way we avoid judgment is to invite Jesus Christ to rule and reign in our lives. Amen? Instead of trying to have a party from the world's standards, the greatest party in the world is walking with the Lord and having fellowship with Him. It's way better. Amen? And so that's what we need to do is turn away from that which is empty and turn to the one who will fill us, who created us in His image to have a relationship with Him. And then look what happens. And again, so much like the lost sinners today, just drinking apart. Therefore, she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. Again, you can't talk to someone who's drunk. They won't hear you. Verse 37. So it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. He turns, she turns to Nabal and tells him what happened. I went and met with David. Here's what happened. Got him to turn his back. And when she, he just simply heard the, heard the words... God's judgment came upon him. And we don't know exactly what happened, but he either had a stroke or a heart attack or slipped into a coma. But whatever happened, it says his heart became like a stone. His life was taken out of him. He was putting his faith in the, al- the drugs and the, al- you know, the things of this world, uh, making merry and his wealth. And instead, it's going to end in death. Look at verse 38. Then it happened after 10 days... The Lord struck Nabal and he died. Abigail's wise words and actions saved Nabal from David, saved David from sinning, but could not save Nabal from God's divine judgment. You can share with people and God can use you to turn people, but eventually the judgment will come. And the judgment came. Nabal never out of God's reach. God righteously judged Nabal and brought divine vengeance. Revengeance is mine. David didn't need to do anything. Leave it in God's hands. Amen? And we shouldn't wish judgment upon people. We should be praying for their salvation. Amen? Now, in your flesh, anybody else ever thought, man, you know, hell's going to be hot for that guy. Anybody else? Am I the only one? Dude, hell's going to be hot for that guy. I'd like to be there. You know, and you think that, and that's totally wrong. Amen? What we ought to be thinking is, Lord, that guy is so lost. He needs you. Let me pray for him. Let me reach out to him. Finally, verse 39 through 44, when you're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Look what happens. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept my servant from evil. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. Nabal's disobedience and pride resulted in his own death. You know, the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That was Nabal. Nabal said there was no God, and he was standing before the true and living God. And then look what it says. And David sent and proposed to Abigail. Man, this guy works quick. I mean, what? Nabal's dead. Really? Praise God. He killed him. Go get Abigail for me. Because she was really pretty and pretty smart, too. So why don't you go ahead and bring her back? She, you know, beautiful appearance. There's only three times in the Old Testament, so we know. Why don't you go get her for me? 
So David sends for Abigail. She said in verse 31, remember your maidservant. He didn't forget. A few verses later, he wants to marry her. Verse 40, when the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her, saving, David sent this to you to ask you to become his wife. Then she arose and bowed her face to the earth and said, here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey, attended by five of her maidens, and she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. Now what's interesting is that she marries David. So you know what I believe happened? Just your pastor's opinion. I believe that when Nabal died, she got all his property. So she married David, so David got all his property. So the guy wouldn't give him food, and now David got all of it. David got his house, his food, his stuff, his sheep, everything, right? And how did he get all of it? He just obeyed God and didn't reach out for any of it. Amen? Now, this is not the name and acclaim and grab it and blab it stuff, okay? Make sure we understand that. What I'm saying is, let's trust God. If He wants us to have more, He'll give us more. But we shouldn't strive for more, amen? We should be content with whatever we have, good stewards of what we, whatever we have. And if God wants to give us more that we might minister to others, then He'll do that. David just simply, okay, Lord, I'm not going to touch him. And you know what the Lord does? Oh, by the way, here, here's all the stuff. And he get his wife too. Now, I, wish, I really do wish the chapter ended there. I really, I do. But I know God's word is perfect, so it's in there for a reason. Look at the next two verses. This kind of messes up the end of the story. Because this was really good. Wasn't this good? It's like, you know, Ruth and Boaz. This is good. Then it says, David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. David! You were in your flesh. You were getting ready to blow it. She came. She got your eyes back on God. You did it right. God bless you with all this. You took a second wife. What are you thinking? You know the sad part? This is not where his wives end. Not even close. And you know the really sad part? He has a son named Solomon. And Solomon took what his dad did and put some zeros at the end of it. Between wives and concubines, Solomon has about a thousand. It's in the Bible. Now, where did he learn that? He took a second wife. David. This goes to show you that God uses us in spite of us. Amen? That you can still be a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart if we've blown it. It's not that we, that we don't blow it. It's that when we blow it, we repent. Amen? That's why David was a man after God's own heart. Last verse, but Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Leah, who was in Gollum. David had been married once before to Michael, the daughter of Saul, but Saul, after making him flee, had taken Michael and given her away. And so now he's got two wives to make up for the one he lost. That's a mistake. Don't do that. Amen? Don't do that. All right. In closing, bringing spiritual perspective to a fleshly situation. Lessons we can learn from Abigail's example. Number one, be willing to listen. Number two, be prepared to take action. Number three, know that those who are in the flesh will often be determined and feel justified in their behavior. Number three, approach the situation with a spirit of love, kindness, and humility. Number five, excuse me, remind them of God's calling upon their lives. Trust that the Lord will do with you, will be with you as you intercede on his behalf. Number seven, leave righteous judgment and vengeance in God's hands. And then remember, when we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you and praise you for these examples we've seen tonight. 
Help us, Lord, not to respond in the flesh. Help us, Lord, to walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Help us, Lord, in times of temptation when our testimony can be blown. Lord, to keep our eyes on you. Father, help us to be Abigail's to the Davids in our life, Lord, that when we see someone struggling and stumbling, Lord, to go, with, go to them in love. Lord, to bring a spiritual perspective to a fleshly situation. Lord, to always keep our eyes on you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. You're a great and awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. let's stand and close a worship song.